Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 74. This class will be given by Louis Nishmat, Haya Sarah, Bat Simha, Ruach Hashem, Tanyahina Begin Eden, sponsored by her family. Hashem should give them strength and long life. Amen. Also, in memory of Bella Shrem. Bella Bat Simha Farida. Alea Shalom Ruach Hashem Tenyahena Began Sponsored by her family. Amen. Okay. Last week, we were speaking about the Pasuk in Mishle Atet Zekenim Benebanim. We were discussing how the crown which means the greatest achievement of a person is bene banim, is their children, their grandchildren. I'd like to share with you a midrash on this subject and expound a little bit on it. The midrash says, lo nitzal Abraham lo nitzal mikivshan ha'esh ela b'schut shel Yaakov which means that we know that Abraham Avinu in the earlier days of his life he was about 50 years old I think he got married that year And we know that he had a struggle, a power struggle, with Nimrod. Abraham Avinu was a man that started a new wave, a new road for people, a new lifestyle, a lifestyle of serving the one God, of being appreciative to the Creator, and so much more, a life of kindness, he was a master teacher, a master mechanech. And he started this huge movement. Like the Pasuk says, asher asu That they made souls, they changed people's lives. And Nimrod was this very powerful man that didn't appreciate this shift that people were taking. I think we could appreciate that. That people don't like sometimes when people are changing or improving. They take that as a threat to their own life. And in Nimrod's, Nimrod's situation, it was a threat to his power. People followed him, people respected him. And here is this man, Abraham, that was going against everything that he's trying to build. So he took Abraham and he threatened him. And he told him that if he doesn't stop his ways, if he doesn't bow to an idol, so he's going to throw him into a furnace of fire. 
Kifshan Ha'esh. And as we all know, this was one of the great tests of Abraham Avinu. That Abraham Avinu, of course, would not change, would not bow to the idol. And in fact, Nimrod threw him into the fire. And we know that Abraham was saved. Nothing happened to him. Comes the Midrash with an interesting commentary and says that Abraham lo nitzal ella, which means Abraham wasn't saved from the fire. It's a big deal to be saved from a fire. So what was the reason? The Midrash seems to be bothered. Why was he saved? So the Midrash says he was only saved. Ella, the word Ella means only. He was only saved because Bishut Shel Yaakov in the merit of Yaakov, his grandson. Now to me, the whole question doesn't even make sense. I wouldn't have asked that question. So I would ask you, why was Abraham Avinu saved from the fire? How about the fact that he was willing to be thrown into the fire so not to bow to an idol? Why is that not a great enough reason? What could be better than that? And if that's not enough, how about the fact that he changed his life? And if that's not enough, how about the fact that he was changing other people's lives? How about all the kindness with tzedakah tatzil mimavet? Hazal tell us that charity saves people from death. And I'm sure there's so much more that we could say and so much more that we don't even know what to say. Why was Abraham Avinu saved from the fire? What did Abraham see in this man that he saved him? I don't think I understand the question. But that's what the Midrash asks. As if the Midrash is looking at all those things that I just mentioned, and they know a lot more than me, and are saying, that can't be the reason. Not enough reason. You mean he was willing to jump in the fire for God? Not enough reason. Surprising to me, but okay. That's why I learn. When you learn, you get surprised. It's okay. Sometimes people say, oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's why we learn. Why, why are you so surprised? So we just learned something. That jumping into a fire is not enough zikhut to be saved from a fire. You know how many times in life we say, oh, well, I prayed this morning. How come that didn't happen to me? How come I tripped? I did this mitzvah yesterday. We say that all the time. So I guess we shouldn't rush to say things like that. Because we don't really know how to measure Great actions with salvations that God sent. We don't really know how to measure it. So what's the answer? Okay, now that we got to the question. So what is the answer? So why was he saved? Being saved from the fire is a huge salvation. What was the merit? Ella, only one. He had only one reason that he was saved. 
in the merit of Yaakov, his grandson. Yaakov is a great man, as we all know. We are lucky to be his children. We are Bnei Yaakov, Bnei Israel. Yaakov had an amazing family of children. Until today, Am Yisrael is the product of all of his investment. So this grandson, Yaakov, saved Abraham Avinu's life. Sounds very beautiful. But if we just stop for a second to think, you realize there's something missing here. Because Abraham wasn't even married yet. Maybe he just got married. He didn't have even a son yet. Yitzhak wasn't born for another 50 years. Yaakov would be born much later. How could it be that Abraham Abinu was saved in the merit of Yaakov when Yaakov was not born yet and Yaakov hasn't done a thing in his life? How do we understand this Midrash? First of all, before we give that answer, you do see once again that nothing was able to save Abraham from this difficult challenge, from this great Nisayon, the great danger of the fire. Nothing could save him except one thing the quality of his children, grandchildren. That in itself is huge, even if we don't understand too much. Again, reminder, the greatest merit, the greatest zechut, ateret, by the way, the Midrash brings this pasuk as a proof. Ateret zekenim bene banim. The crown of the elders, referring to Abraham. What was his crown? What saved him? What was the merit? Benebanim, his grandson Yaakov. That's what the Midrash brings as a proof to the statement we just learned together. So how could it be you could be saved for a son or grandson you never had? How does that make sense? So I think there is a very deep yet simple message in this Midrash that we have to do Hazara. We have to review a number of times in our minds to make sure we get good clarity in it. And that is that the great achievements that we see in life are only the final product of great investments. Let me repeat that. 
That might have sounded confusing. In life, we see great achievements. We see people doing some amazing things, and we see some unbelievable people. And we get excited, and we get inspired when we see such people. You see an amazing father. You see a, a man, a woman, a family that raised beautiful children and grandchildren. And you look at each one and you look at them and you say, wow, amazing, beautiful, so happy, so clear, so kind, so respectful, so responsible. You keep on saying all the so's. And you get inspired. And you say to yourself, oh, one day, I want to have children like that. One day, I want to be like that. One day, my family and my home is going to look like that. We get inspired when we see the final product. Whether it's a great man, a great woman, a great family, great achievements. We humans, Hashem created us, then when we see great things, we get inspired. Inspiration basically means you look at someone else and you say, you know, I also want to do that. And all of a sudden, you've been sleeping for a year or 10 or 20 and you see something and you say, why can't I do that? Why can't I be that? Yes, I want to. I'm going to. But usually, most of life's inspiration goes to waste. And there are a number of reasons why people who get inspired actually never change. It feels good to be inspired. A lot of times people walk out of a class and they're inspired and they feel great. But the feeling great stops at the class. Nothing really happens after. Most inspiration goes to waste. It's not utilized at all or at least the majority is not utilized. And how come? Why would I go to hear something and get inspired, or see someone, better yet, hearing, you could excuse it by saying, well, it's just words. By the time you leave, you forget. But when you see people, they're around you, they're live, in action. It's real, it could be done. Sometimes a rabbi talks, someone speaks, and you say to yourself, come on, is that real? Can that really happen? Are you kidding? You can't have children like that. You can't have a family like that. You can't have a marriage like that. What are you saying? So sometimes when you leave after you hear, you say to yourself, I'm not sure if that's real. That's like maybe very godly, but that's not real. But when you see real people, it's right there. How would that be wasted? What is it? that we get inspired and we just don't act on it.
So I believe, I don't know if this is the only reason, but I believe this could be the main reason, is that when we see great things or great people, we're seeing the product. We're seeing the end result. The end result looks very beautiful. It's like going to see this beautiful building and you look at it from the bottom to the top and you say, wow, I want a building just like that. But buildings like that, they don't start off like that. They need an investment. A beautiful building is a product of an investment that somebody had to put. Many things that you will never ever see. Somewhere down in the foundation that you'll never see. The many months and years of putting together the plans and the blueprint and the detail and the color. Everything that you see had so much detail and investment. You only get to see the whole piece together. It looks so beautiful. But every little detail was discussed, was thought about, was worked on, was investigated. We don't get to see all that. So when we get inspired, when we see this finished product called a great child, a great family, a great person, we're in awe and say, wow, I also want that. I also want to have that. I also want to be that. Beautiful. And you walk out the door and very quickly you realize that you're just not that. You're not made up of that. You don't have children like that. You don't have a family like that. You don't live like that. That's just the way it is. And you quickly realize that there must be two types of people. There are the people who could do that and then there are people who can't. And you must be from those who can't. Because look, you want, but it's not happening. So I guess you're not from those people. Maybe in a different lifetime. Maybe in a Gilgul. Maybe reincarnation will bring you back as a different person who can succeed with a great life, with a great family, with great children. But I guess not for this lifetime. And the proof is obvious. Just turn the page. Look at them and look at me. You see? Very different. There you have it. That's a terrible mistake. The terrible mistake is that we got inspired from the final product, which we should, but we didn't really read the whole story. We didn't realize, or we didn't think to realize, it's not that complicated, but we just don't take that extra step, that extra thought, an extra five minutes of thought to realize, hey, you know, that person is no different than me. There was no building years ago 
just like me. The final beautiful look you see. You see that family? You see those children? You see this marriage? You see this amazing life? That wasn't there before, just like it wasn't by me before. There's a certain investment that a person has to make. Blueprints. Learning the details. Mapping it out. What do I have to do? What can't I do? What do I have to be involved in? What do I have to stay away from? What do I do with my free time? How do I speak to this person? How do I deal with that situation? Endless thousands and thousands of little details on this blueprint called your life and your future. Your product is not a reflection of your product. It's a reflection of your plan. When you don't plan accordingly, and you don't prepare accordingly, then who knows what product you're going to have. So when you get inspired by someone, the first thing you need to do is figure out how that someone became a someone. Well, how did this family become like that? How did these children grow up like that? How is it that this person is so successful? Looking at the end piece does nothing for anybody. If anything, it just makes you frustrated. But when you track back and you realize that the success in the end was only because of the investment you only saw it in the end. But the success happened long ago. Today you're seeing the finished picture. But that picture was being drawn way before. And perhaps that's what the Midrash is teaching you. That's the message it's giving me and you. That the greatness of Yaakov Avinu, you know, I was worried that after last week's class, you might have thought only applies to married people and only people who have children. But in reality, if you walked out that way last week, you made a huge mistake. Actually, because if you're going to wait to be married, and to have children, and to think then about how to have great children and a great family, it's late. I don't wanna to say too late, because it's never too late. It's never too late. No matter how many children you have, no matter how old they are, it's never too late, but it's late. That we can say. You're going to raise the great children after you get married? 
that's when it's going to happen? You're going to raise a great family after you have the family? Well, it seems so logical. Yes, of course, Rabbi. When else? No, no, no. Your future is being decided now. I'm talking to singles. I'm talking to young people. I'm talking to 12-year-old girls and 13-year-old boys. You think that the great building of your future happens then? No. It's happening now. Look at your 12-year-old and your 13-year-old if you're a mother, if you're a father. Look at your 12-year-old and your 13-year-old. I say those ages only because the Torah tells us that's when people become responsible. You look at your 12-year-old daughter and your 13-year-old son and you must, you must see. Maybe it was a little late for you. Maybe you never went to a class like this when you were younger. No one told you. But now you're smarter and not just because of this class. You're smarter because you're experienced and you've seen it firsthand with yourself and with others. And now you're able to look at that little girl and that little boy and you're actually seeing their future now. The great children that you'll have is being determined today. Today you're writing up the blueprints. It's the person that you make of yourself that will come out when you get married, that will come out when you have a child. Whatever it is that you're producing when you're little, when you're young, that's what's going to come out in the building called your home and your future. Your grandchildren aren't born in the future. They may be physically born in the future, but their greatness is born today. Now, of course, if I look at you, as a young person, I can't know. But you could know. Because you can be sure that if you made yourself in Abraham Avinu, that you're going to have a Yaakov Avinu as your grandson. The Midrash is telling you, Yaakov Avinu already made it on the spectrum before he was even born. His greatness came from the greatness of this man called Abraham. Abraham, the one who was single. Abraham who just got married. He's the one now. Hashem already says, I can't see it. You can't see it. But Hashem can see it. Hashem says, you see this man Abraham today? This is a man with his blueprint and his building that he's building. He's capable of a Yaakov in his family. It didn't happen yet. And guess what? It may never happen. Because ultimately, there's also Isaf. Hey, didn't Abraham have an Isaf too? So what are you saying? He had great grandchildren. He also had some not so great grandchildren. That's not even the point. At the end of the day, every child has free choice. No matter how much you do for somebody. Hashem gave free choice to every single person. You could be the biggest and greatest mechanech. 
the most beautiful building in the world, and your children could decide not to follow. It's their choice. But clearly, clearly, our job is to give them the best possible scenario, the best possible chance. It's for a different class. Exactly what is our job if they have free choice? But in short, our job is to elevate their free choice. There are some people out there in the street choosing between how many drinks they're going to have today. Should I drink two bottles of alcohol or should I cut down to one and a half? Should I, drink, should I smoke one pack or two packs? Struggles of life. And then there are people struggling. Did I give proper respect to my mother today? I think I could have been a little more sensitive. I gotta be better. My tefillah today, not so pure as it should be. My learning, I didn't learn as long as I should have and as good. That's also a struggle. It's a different kind of struggle. As parents, our job is to prepare our children and make their struggles at a much higher level. But of course, in the end, it's their choice. They could choose to become anything they want. When the Midrash says that Abraham was saved because of Yaakov, I'm not sure that Yaakov had to exist per se. For me and you, he had to exist because we wouldn't see the product. But Hashem already sees the product from before. He sees that Abraham Avinu was a man who is building a foundation to have such a family. And this Midrash is so powerful because it's telling you that this crown of life, which is an amazing family, is built when you're young, when you're not even married, when you're still putting down the foundations. That needs to be on the mind of every young person. And if they're too young to understand, it needs to be on the mind of every mother and father. Do not wish for your children to become great. Help them develop their greatness when they're young. Do not wish they will be happily married. Do not wish they will raise great children. Wishing doesn't do anything. Hoping doesn't do much. You need to help them develop it now. Put them in the right place. Give them the right education. Let them be around the right people. You must ask yourself, that the biggest job of a mother and father. Are my children ready to be the father of Yaakov Avinu? Is my daughter ready to be the mother of David Melech? Does she have the strength? Does she have the clarity? Does she have the wisdom? Great parents are developed way before they're even married. That's what this Midrash says. 
the crown of elders are their grandchildren. And just as you're about to tune out, because you say, well, I'm not an elder yet. Says the Midrash, you can only get the crown of the elder if you're up when you're young. Because the real investment is when you're younger. And that's what I said some 20 minutes ago that you maybe didn't understand. When we are inspired, unfortunately, we get inspired by the results. But we don't realize that the results are only the results. That's not what made it. We need to be inspired by the steps that it took to get there. Because if we don't put that together, it's a waste of time. Ravoba Alaba Shalom, who was a great mashgiach and mechanech, for close to 70 years, he spent his life guiding tens of thousands of young people during their time in yeshiva, during their marriage, with their children. A man of huge, huge experience. Sometimes you read a book and you see an author decided to put some nice things on paper. He thought of some idea that makes sense for your marriage, for your children. It could be good, but you never know. Was it tried? Was it tested? Did it work? Did it not work? You know, a lot of great ideas when it comes to reality don't work. They look great, they're exciting, but they don't work. But when you hear from Ravoba, Alava Shalom, so you're hearing from someone who has had experience of thousands and thousands of people. What works? What didn't work? What's the real issue that's going on here? That's really what we need to learn. What's the real investment here? Where's the real mistake? Where's the real success? Not the end product. So they have a, a book that was printed. They found some letters of his. He wrote letters during his lifetime to students, family, different questions, different issues that were discussed. They didn't write the names of the people. They made a book from all these letters. That's 600 letters. Each one is a beauty. You know, it's different than reading a book. You read Mesilat Yesharim, you're reading guidance. You read a letter to a person, you're reading something alive. It's a real life scenario, a real issue a real answer. 600 of these letters are written in two books, two volumes. So I like to go through it when I can just to see different chokhmah that I can use in my life. And certain things just like stood out in my mind. 
and I haven't read that many of them yet. For example, I'm not sure that this would have caught your eye, but it caught mine. In one of the letters he writes, about 46 years ago, 47 years ago, actually, Parashat Beha'alotecha, the parasha we just read. That's the date of the letter. And he writes to this young man who he calls him Yedidi. Now you know why I like the letter. <laughs> he says, Yedidi, my friend. Listen to these words. Again, I don't know if this will intrigue you. But I'll try to explain why it intrigues me. Samahti, by the way, if you've read his books, Alishur, you know this man writes only what's needed. He's not somebody who exaggerates, he's very careful with his words. Listen to these words. Samahti, I was happy. Lirot, to see. Bemichtabicha. In your letter, not happy to see your letter. I was happy to see in your letter. She'ata mathil that you are beginning. Lachshov al atzmecha to think about yourself. And I'm reading this, and I'm saying to myself, he's happy. To see in this letter that he's starting to think about himself. This is probably a 20 year old, 24 year old. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of guy is this? At 20, he starts to think about himself? I've been thinking about myself since a very young age. I don't know about you. Since we were very little. Actually, all I think about is myself. Which, what kind of person doesn't think about themselves? Like, who is he writing to? A monkey? Who is this guy? He's, I'm so happy. What is he so, he's so happy, you can't believe it, that you started to think about yourself. Imagine I wrote you that letter. You'd be like, Rabbi, what do you mean? What are you saying? Who doesn't think about themselves? That's one of the problems we have in society, to get people to think about someone other than themselves. Love others like you love yourself. It's obvious. Every morning, when I get up, it's for myself. If I eat, it's for myself. If I do anything, it's for me. Once in a while, I'll think about somebody else. What does he mean by that? And he's so samahti. He says, I'm so happy. And he's sharing it with him. That you started. By the way, he only started to think about himself. He didn't actually do it that well. That line intrigued me. What does he mean? Now, if I wrote that letter... Probably I was just trying to be, you know, dramatic or flowery, poetic. 
Not Ravoga. Great people don't write like that. Before they write something, they think. What's he saying? And after thinking about this line for a few minutes, I realized something very, very beautiful. Unfortunate also. That most people, I hope you understand me when I say this, most people live their life like their involvement as, as a spectator sport. Let me explain. A spectator in a sports game is a person who sits down in his chair and is very involved in the game. They hit the ball, he's in it. They catch the ball, he's in it. They hit a home run, he's in it. He's in the game. His emotions sometimes are even more than the people on the field. His excitement, the ups, the downs. We won, we lost. We're ahead, we're behind. He's in it. He's in the game, except that he's a spectator. There's only one thing about this person that's different than the guy in the field. And that is, he doesn't control anything about the game. He gets to play, so to speak. He gets to be in it, but doesn't control anything. At the end of the day, if they win or they lose, it has nothing to do with him. But he's involved but no control. And I realized that people live their lives the exact same way. They live their life as a spectator to their own life. They kind of are in their life, but they don't really control their life. They just go with whatever is happening. Sometimes their life takes them to place A, sometimes to place B. Sometimes they become this kind of person, sometimes that kind of person. They're just kind of flowing with the water and they don't have any control of their life. They end up in places they never really decided to become or to be in. And if you think I'm exaggerating, let's think about how many people in this country are literally sick from drugs, alcohol, gambling, anorexia. You continue counting how many sicknesses there are. Sickness is not like cancer. Sickness is that a person brought upon themselves. You brought that upon yourself. How many people at the age of 12 or 13 decided they will be a drug addict? My guess is none. 
How many people decide they're going to be alcoholics? None. How many people are going to be gamblers? None. How many young ladies said, I want to be anorexic? Zero. So how do we have in the world hundreds of millions of humans that never wanted to be that and became that? The answer is they live their life as a spectator. They're involved, but they don't control. Life kind of just takes them. They end up in certain places. They end up in certain relationships. They end up doing certain things. It's all happening to them, but they're not in control. I gave you only a few examples but there are many, many more. People get very angry. They live their life with anger. They're just living it, but they don't control it. So much about what we do <laughs> is something almost that we got stuck with. We're spectators to our own lives. Once in a while, you'll see a person say, you know what? I'm going to change that. I'm not going to do that. And we look at them and say, wow, amazing. You're one of the few people that actually is thinking about yourself. That's what Revolva is so excited about. He found a young man who got off the chair of watching his life go by and actually started to think about where he's headed in the future. Instead of just living and figuring out one day where you'll end up, you actually could write where you end up. You could actually put it on paper. You could start drawing the blueprints of where you're going to be. You control your destiny. But you have to think about yourself. Thinking about yourself doesn't mean thinking what you're going to eat, thinking where you're going on vacation. Thinking about yourself means thinking how I today, I'm going to be in 10 years from today, the person that I want to be. I'm 18 today. How is it that at 28, I'm going to be a happy person, I'm going to have great relationships, and if Hashem blesses me, I'm going to have great children, not just the ones He gave me, but the ones that I made? How am I doing that? La hashov al-atzmi means that I'm going to take my life into my hands. That I'm not going to complain anymore about, the, oh, that friend ruined my life. That situation is hurting me. My mother, I wish she was normal. My father, he didn't raise me the right way. My this, my neighbor. That's watching life as a spectator. Just kind of commenting about why you are where you are. And why you're probably going to be where you don't even know where you're going to be. You never know. Someone says to you, what's going to be with you? Did anyone ask you that? What's going to be with you? 
So some people say, huh? And others say, I don't know. Exactly. You don't even know what's going to be with you. That's a person who hasn't started to think about where they're going to be. You need to answer that question. What's going to be with you? How is it going to happen magically? You think one day you wake up and you're this awesome father? You're this awesome husband? You're this amazing human being that is full of simcha? You think it just happens magically? You need to figure it out. That's called lachshav al-atzmecha. I guess it's very rare because Rav Lubav says, Samahti lirot. You made me so happy today that I found someone who's actually thinking about his future, who's actually taking the driver's seat and not the passenger seat of his life. Yes, we make decisions all day long, but they're just decisions for the moment. Sushi, pasta, and you say, hmm, let me think, I'm not sure. Pasta. And you walk away thinking, ah, I'm the decision of my, of my life. I make decisions. Yes, Sprite, not Coke. There you go, more decisions. That's not real decisions. That's not a person thinking about themselves. That's a person who's thinking about what they want and how they want it. But where are you going to be? Who are you going to be? That's decided way before you become. Samahti lirot. Beautiful. So happy to see. He's not even giving him the full. Yeah, I'm happy you started. You're 20 years old for the first time in your life. You actually thought that I'm in control. And he says, and you're looking. You're starting to see what you're missing and trying to figure out how to take care of it. Nice. That's a good sign. So happy for you. Unbelievable. I even read you the letter, by the way. That's not the point. It's a beautiful letter, it happens to be. But that line really caught my eye. I realized that many of us need to work to get that letter. We're not there yet. I don't know how many can get that letter. Especially because we live in a community. And sometimes, when you live by yourself somewhere, you start to think about yourself a little more. Because you have to. No one's thinking about you. If you want to pray somewhere, you got to think, how do I get a minyan? How do I build a shul? How do I make a school? How do I get to a mikveh? How do I... It's you. There's nobody else. So of course it's not so easy to live like that. That may not be so great either. But one thing about it is good. 
is that you actually start to think about yourself because nobody else is doing it for you. But when you live in a community, as beautiful as that is, and who doesn't want to live in a beautiful community? But there is one downside, is that you kind of just go with the flow. You don't have to worry about too many things because it's being handled. Everything is being handled and then even you're being handled. In your mind, it's going to be okay. Just go with the flow. Just do whatever people do. But you won't be able to get a letter like this. And if you can't get a letter like this, then basically you're a spectator to your own life. And there's no way to get the crown of Zekanim when you're a spectator. I saw in another letter that he wrote and he's writing to a young man I'm not going to read it in order the way it was written He says, I want to hear from you. He writes him. Do you have good friends? Do you have good friends? He says, Ani tamid mehadash. He says, I always see new. Interesting terminology. I always see mehadash from new. Seems to be a contradiction here. If it's always, it's not new. And if it's not new, it's not always. Means, I always see this. But it's always a little different. It's not in the same exact way. You know, we have all the same challenges, but a little different. It's tamid. Our challenges are tamid. Even the kind of challenges are tamid. Just mehadash. Each one's got a little different spin. Oh, you, you ended up being with this person for that reason, and he ended up for another reason. But it's the same challenge. It's just mehadash. So what is it that he sees always mehadash? Listen to these words. These words, uh, I'm telling you, again, if I say these words, it doesn't mean a lot. But listen to what Rabobah says. He says, Ki kol hatzlahato shel bahur that the entire success of a young person is hanging on this. So let me first explain to you what he's saying. He's saying that success in life is in our hands. If we want it, it's in our hands. It's not in anybody else's hands. 
not your mother, not your father, not your friends, not your neighbors. It's in your hands. Everybody, if you could look at success as something you can grab, everyone's got success in their hand. The success of their future is in their hand. Everybody's holding it. No matter who you are, it's in your hand. And there's something that's going to make what you're holding come to reality, come to fruition. Just because you have your success in your hand, it doesn't mean you're going to reach it. It's in your hand, but you got to open it. So how do you open it? What do you have to do? How many things have to be done in order to open the success that's already in your hand? Basically, how do you become successful? So if you ask me that question, I would say, well, you probably need a little of this and a lot of that. And I would probably list 10, 20, 30, 40, I don't know how many things that will bring a person to success. I would never have the ability to say what he said. There's no way a regular person could say this. Because the words that he said are, Ki kol hatzlahato shel bahur. Kol atzlahato. You know what that means? That the entire success or the entire reason to reach the success. Kol. Not saying if you do this, you'll be successful. Or the main success will come from here. Maybe me and you could have said that. He's saying your success in life will come. Kol will come all of it from here. Who could have found the one thing? Who is that? What is that? So what is it? He says, Hanging beze sheyeshlo haverim Anshe ma'ala. You can ask them to put on the AC. They probably forgot it. Thank you. I'm okay, by the way. It's just for you. Before you pass out, just please step outside. <laughs> Thank you. So what is this hook that you need to put your success on? It's got to be hanging on something. Hanging on what? He says, Baze, Sheyesh lo haverim, Anshe ma'ala. 
basically, in English, who are your friends? Not how many people you know. Not how many people you say hello to when you see them. You could be a very friendly person. But who are your friends? Who are the people that you're close to? Im haver enotov. If your friends are not that great, he says, that's where you're hanging your success or failure. He says, with a bad friend, you just keep going down. And with a good friend, Alin, life just becomes this escalator that you keep climbing. You climb and your greatness climbs with you. In every way. I'll say it again. Call Hatzlahato Shel Bahur. The entire success of a person. Not a little bit of the success. Not the main part of the success. Call! It's awesome to hear such words. You don't need a hundred friends. You don't need ten friends. You need one, two, three, few. Who are the people that you are with and spend the majority of your time with? That decides your hatzlaha or your failure. Amazing. And by the way, he says, I'm not talking about the person you learn with. I'm not talking about the friend that you go to class with. And there are people, they have their friends that they go to class with. That's my class friend. That's my religious friend. That's the friend I do hesed with. Yeah, I'm not talking about those people. When I talk to you about a good friend, I'm not talking about the people you learn with. Listen to these words. You have to be a great person to understand these little details. He says, mitkaven rak He says, I'm not so worried about your habruta. Well, I'm not only thinking about your habruta. Ella leoto haber. I'm talking about that friend. Sheholchim letayel ito. You know what tiyul is? In our language, they say, hang out. Some people say, chill. There might be other words that I'm not aware of. Who do you hang out with? The people you hang out with when you're relaxing, going for a walk, just shooting the breeze. Who is that person? That's the person. Not the guy next to you in class. Not the person. That's not the one I'm worried about. It's also good. That's not my main concern. Not the friend with you during your school in the winter, but your friend who is with you in the summer. That's the guy I'm worried about. That's deciding your success or your failure. Amazing. 
I mean, we always knew that friends matter. But to say such words is astounding. And again, if it was anybody else, I would have dismissed it. Imagine what you have to be to say such words with confidence. And by the way, what is a good friend? You know, we didn't discuss that. I bet you felt that wasn't even necessary. What's a good friend? And probably everyone says, what do you mean? I know what's a good friend. And I bet everyone thinks their friends are good. While all people need to be respected and to see the good in them. But not all friends are good. And don't think that just because you declared that someone is a good friend, they're now a good friend. It doesn't work with declarations. There is a reality. And guess what? Thank God. Rabobah didn't leave us hanging on this one. Because when he describes to this young man, if he has good friends, he didn't allow him to guess. Because probably he knows, like I know, when you tell somebody, do you have friends? Yes. Are they good friends? Of course. Because everybody in their own mind has their own version of what's called a good friend. So... Obviously, if they're with them, they're good friends. So this whole letter should just be thrown in the garbage because it has no value. Because if friendship and good friendship depends on each one's opinion, then there's no one home to talk to. Good friends have a definition. And luckily, this great man, I would love to take a break right now. Go for a walk, let Tael a little bit, <laughs> and come back and give you some time to take a piece of paper and write down what you think the qualities of a good friend are. I'd like to do that, but I'm not going to have the time. Because my bet is that you would never guess. He only says three different things. You may have guessed the second one. You may have guessed the third one. But you for sure and I as well would never guess the first one. The first thing he says, who is a good friend? He says someone Who's a Baal Sechel? You know what Sechel means? Brain. Someone with a brain. Now, before you rush to say, well, my friends have brains, thank God. Now, let's think about that for a second. Everyone's got a brain. What does that mean? So let's just check off. Check, got it. Is that all he means? That people have a brain? But notice the word Baal Sechel. You know what the word Baal means in Hebrew? Baal means the owner of. Everyone may have a brain, 
but very few people own their brain. And if you say who doesn't own their brain? So I think in the history of mankind, this is just my guess, there hasn't been a generation that lacked ownership of their brains than our generation. Most people that you will meet, and this is not to put someone down, it's to describe the reality, the unfortunate reality for them. Most people that you will meet in the street, and unfortunately sometimes in our circles, really don't own their brain. What does it mean not to own your brain? It means that you don't make your own decisions. It doesn't mean, by the way, if you own your brain, that you always make the right decisions. Because it could be, even if you own your brain, you'll make the wrong decision. That could be. But it's your brain. It's your decision. Most people in humanity today, at least in our culture, are not deciders of their own decision. I mean, it may look like it is, but it's really not. When someone goes shopping, for example, they're not really deciding what to buy. The decision has already been made. It's just a question of figuring out the exact label or the exact size. A fellow gets up in Paris and says, Morai verabotai. Last year, we all wore short. But this year, we're going to go long. And there are people in the crowd saying, oh, I just went shopping. Now, what could you do? Everyone says, Amen. I say, some people say, Baruchu Baruch Shema also. <laughs> they say, wow. That's it? No more short? This year long? Last year were light colors. But this year, it's going to be dark colors. Ah, throw out the wardrobe. Doesn't, doesn't work this year. You know, you're laughing, and you think this is an exaggeration. Let me give you a little bit of an experience that you might have had. I know I did. Have you ever looked at videos from 25 years ago? Maybe your wedding, or bar mitzvah of yourself, or your brother. Maybe your parents' wedding. And you look and you say, what were they thinking? Oh my goodness. Did you see the hairdo on that? Men, what, what are they doing? And look at those pants. Oh my gosh. What kind of dress is that? You gotta be kidding. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen that? Have those people 25 years ago looked like they were living on Mars? And they were walking around thinking they looked so sharp. 
and so cool. You're like, oof, horrible. Can't believe it. Now, when you look at it as your parents' wedding, you say, oh, wow, those people are really nuts. Thank God, we really made forward. We're much more forward now. But then you get to an age where you're actually watching yourself in the video. And you look horrible. But you knew that at the time, you thought you looked magnificent. You were like gorgeous, stunning. And today you look at it and say, what is that? Now how could that be? Can I ask you? How could you look stunning, the same person, gorgeous and stunning, and horrible at the same time? And you, in both cases, Answer is, you'll forgive me. Because I'm part of you. We don't control our mind. Because they actually tell us what's beautiful. 25 years ago, they told us, that's beautiful. And we said, wow, so nice. And today, they said, that's not beautiful anymore. This is beautiful. It's sad, actually, because it doesn't stop at clothing. That's just an obvious start. It's everything. It's lifestyle. It's the way we think. When a person wants to relax, what do you do to relax? They already told you what to do. There are people right now sitting in rooms with brilliant people in a conference room trying to figure out how when you walk into a store your decision has already been made. The job of an advertiser, of an influencer is to make sure that they own your brain. That when you walk into the store and you see a cereal that looks exactly like the other cereal that your mind automatically will say, I love that one. And someone says, but why do you love it? I don't know, I just do. Why do you like Coke over that one? I I don't know, I just do. And you actually think you love it. That's the scary part of it. But they control your brain. They control my brain. They tell us how to dress. They tell us how to eat. They tell us how to party. They tell us how to travel. They tell us how to raise our children. They tell us what is sharp and what's hazit. They tell us what is enjoyable and what is not. You have a generation out there that has no mind of their own. It is so sad. You walk the streets today and you see the young generation of Americans the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they act, everything about them. What's more sad than anything is they're not even deciding it. They're wearing clothing that somebody else told them to buy. They need a label because someone told them that looks important. They need to do certain things. They need to sing certain songs. Their whole life 
is literally controlled. They're not ba'ale sechel. And we're not so far away from them. We may have a little more ownership of our sechel. Or maybe we're around other influences. But it takes a very big person to own their brain. Own your decisions. Buy what you want. Do what you want. Now, what you should want or not is a different question. Now, what what purpose is there to come and teach? And unfortunately, I have this experience. And not that I'm any better, because I don't have the same problem. But imagine going to teach a class of a thousand people. And you teach them something very critical and very important and so useful and so pleasurable pleasurable if they actually do it. And you talk about it and you prove it and you convince and they're inspired and they walk out. And I tell you, for the most part, people don't do anything. For the most part, people don't change. It's a sad reality. People don't change. And I'm not talking about the people that didn't understand or didn't agree. I'm talking about the people that walked out saying, whoa, awesome, hit my heart. Don't change. Not their Shabbat, not their Tzniut, not their anger, nothing. Why? Answer is very simple. Imagine that Reuven makes all of Shimon's decision. Every time Shimon makes a decision, Reuven makes it for him. And you go and inspire Shimon. What is that going to do? Nothing. Zero. You're not talking to the person who thinks. So you talk to people, but they're not the one thinking. So they're very inspired. They love it. Wow, awesome, good. Sounds awesome. But when it comes down to it, they're controlled. They don't own their mind. They're not balisechem. We are bringing up a generation that have so little ownership of their mind. The younger generation is worse than the old one. The power of the media and the influencers and all of what's around us. The whole world is about label. Labels are a new thing. 100 years ago, there was thing as labels. You bought something because you liked it. Because you liked the way it looked. You liked the way it felt. It's not like that anymore. It's all about the label. And I wish, like I said, it stopped at clothing. It's our whole lifestyle. Like, what's a great child? What's a successful child? They already told us. What does it mean to be a successful teenager? Are you successful at 16? Well, what decides that? They told you. Are you a successful 21-year-old? Here you are, a 21-year-old boy. 
Are you successful? Well, let them speak their mind. You don't decide. It's so scary. This great man, Revolva, who is afraid that when he says to this guy, you have good friends? He's going to say, of course. Because let me tell you what good friends are. Are your friends people that make their own decisions? Again, not necessarily always the right ones, but are they making their own decisions? Sometimes I tell boys, maybe it's not going to sound so right. Don't misunderstand it. Sometimes I'll make a statement like, you know, I respect you if you decide to be a drug addict. I do. I respect you. You want to be a drug addict? You decided to be a drug addict? I respect you. I disagree with you, but I respect you. But don't become a drug addict without deciding it. Because every drug addict in the world became that without deciding. They're not balsechel. Own your mind. You have to start thinking about your decisions in life. Think about why you do what you do. Why you wear what you wear. Why you go where you go. Why you say what you say. Why does this seem attractive to you? Why? Where did that come from? What's the source? And it's the moment we start thinking about these things, we're not going to change overnight. But we can start making inroads to become ba'ale sechel. Because you can never succeed in life with somebody else's decisions. You need to own your own mind. That's one characteristic of a good friend. A person who's just going with the waves. A person who's just looking at other people when they shop. They're looking at other people and the way they're looking at them. Whatever they do, they're looking at what others are thinking about them. If that's your friend, they need to be put on the side. Don't disrespect them, love them, wish them Shabbat Shalom. But don't be metayel with them. Because they're dangerous people. By the way, they could be good people. But they're dangerous people. Because they don't think. People who don't think are dangerous to themselves and to people around them. Now you may not have much to choose from, by the way. Not that many people out there. But at least get the better. You're not going to find perfect people. But at least the better. That's one quality in a good friend. The second quality, he tells him, Ba'ale midot. Ba'ale midot. Character, refined. They don't put people down. You know, sometimes you're your friends, they put other people down and you laugh. Just know when you turn your back, they're putting you down too. They're not refined people. Even if it's about somebody else. People who complain are not refined. People who are not patient are not refined. 
People always angry are not refined people. Hazatam, we gotta pray for them, but you can't be with them. They will damage you. People of not good character are damaging, not just to themselves, but to people around them. And the third quality is Yereshamayim. Someone who's God-fearing. It's hard for me to tell you what God-fearing is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know what it is. But I don't know how you look at another person and say, oh, they're God-fearing. I don't know how to do that. You have to be a prophet or you have to be someone very big to look at someone and say, oh, they're a God-fearing person. How do I know who's God-fearing? There is one siman. There is one sign that I use, and I'll just share it with you. I could walk into a bet midrash or a shul of 500 people and not know one person in that building. And give me a few few minutes. I will be able to tell you more or less who seems to be a God-fearing person. It's the way people pray. Not the way they learn. Because people like to learn. Intellectual. The way they pray. There's a certain look of a God-fearing person who prays in front of the creator of the world. They stand a certain way. Hard to explain. There's no thing you could practice. It's not like that. They stand a certain way. They look a certain way. They talk a certain way. It's a certain look. It's a look of Yirachamay. If one has an eye for it, they can see it. That's the kind of friend that we should surround ourselves with. It's amazing how he broke it down to these things. I thought he was going to say, who knows what. I wish that paper that you would have written, we could have compared it. What would you have said? An owner of their own mind. Quality, midot. And Yeresh I'll just end off by sharing with you a pasuk in Mishle. I know you've heard many times on the subject of Bitahon, of trust, faith, belief. But I bet you never heard about the bitahon I'm about to share with you. I can almost guarantee it. Says Shlomo HaMelech, Hacham, a wise person, Yare, 
They're afraid. Because they're afraid, so they move away. They're careful. Their fear brings them to be careful. Uchsil, but the fool, mitaber, mitaber, Maldim says means he passes, passes the line of acceptable. Uboteach, and he is confident. He feels secure. Interesting. The wise man is always afraid. And the foolish is confident. I thought you're supposed to be confident. I thought you're not supposed to be afraid. Not in these areas. There's one place to be afraid. And that's afraid of failure. Afraid of ending up in a bad place. Afraid of ending up in a bad marriage, you should be afraid of that. Afraid of your children not succeeding, you should be afraid of that. Afraid of you not ending up in the right place in life, you should be afraid of that. You should never be botea. So, how's your future look like? Hopefully good. Oh no. No, hopefully good. You gotta make it good. Botayah means I trust it's gonna be fine. Don't trust your marriage is gonna be fine. Don't trust. That's what everybody else does. And you see the results. What are you trusting? You gotta make it good. Don't trust that your children will grow up and be these beautiful kids. Don't trust that. You gotta make it. When you trust in these areas, says Shlomo, you're a fool. When you're afraid in these areas, you're a wise person. Be afraid when you see other people's failure. You know, Hashem teaches us all day long. All day He's teaching us. We just don't see the lessons. We think lessons are only when we come to class. But He's teaching us all day. You heard about the kid who's on drugs? Unfortunately, many thousands of them, not far from us, right in our backyards, thousands and thousands of them. You heard about those people? That could be your kid. That's your son. You see that little baby in the crib? See him? Imagine him a drug addict. Oh no, my kid? Never. You, my kid? This kid's gonna be awesome. Look at him. He's so cute. He's so innocent. Loving, clean, beautiful. Drug addict. Yes. Yes. Don't be shaken. Hacham yare. A wise person is afraid. Vesarmira. And he ensures he won't be that. Because every mother who had a drug addict in her home also didn't think that same way. You heard about that young lady that's selling herself? 
You heard about that young lady who dresses in a terrible way? Who's involved in terrible things? You heard about her? Unfortunately, yes. That's your little daughter right there. Yes, that's her. Hacham yare besar When you hear what's going on around you and it shakes you up, that's a lesson for you. That's not for somebody else. That's your child. It's your son. No, my son is different. He's not different. Your son's not different. My son's not different. Your daughter's not different. My daughter's not different. They're not different. They're regular people. And you need to figure out how to ensure to do your best to put them in a whole different way. There's so much out there today. If you would see the teenagers today in our society, and you would see their lifestyle, and you would see their anxiety, forget that they're involved in Averot. Forget that. Forget that they're involved in terrible sins. Forget that they're involved in things that we would say is not good, not appropriate. Forget that. The anxiety, the unhappiness, the fear, the unknown, and so much more that you should know about if you don't know. It's everywhere. All families, all people. It's right in front of you. If you would see a picture of it, you'll be shocked. I hope you'll be shocked. But for sure you would go home and say, not my children. Not my daughter. Not my son. They don't do that. Says Shalom Melech, you're a fool. You have a boteach the wrong thing. You have this faith that things will work out. It's a faith misplaced. Hashem wants you to learn from what's around you in life. You always have to learn. You know, even if you grew up in a home that had very little shalom. Some people grow up in such homes where their parents are always fighting. It's not a great thing. It's not pleasant. But learn from it. Learn from it. Guess what? When they got married, that also wasn't their dream. Just remember that. They didn't dream to have this kind of marriage. Nobody does when they get married. At least nobody normal. So how did they end up there? Ooh. Things happened. What happened? Well, learn about it. Figure it out. So you don't end up in the same place. When we see terrible things in life, we automatically assume, oh, that's not us. We'll never get there. Our children will never get there. We're so far from that. But if you track the steps of how that person got there, and you realize that that person also didn't want to get there, but they just made the wrong decisions, and you traced it back, and you say, oh my goodness, I have the same choice too. We're much closer to each other than we think. The great people and the terrible people. Sometimes we see a great person and we say, oh, what can I learn from them? They're so great. I can never be that. This summer I had a gadol in my home on Shabbat. What a privilege. And I try to invite as many people as I can. Because I don't want to share just 
my own family. I had Roshmol Kamenetsky. Hashem should give him refuah shlema. I believe he's 98 or 99. And what a Shabbat. I said, this Shabbat, I'm just going to sit and learn him. Not learn with him, learn him. What a Shabbat. And I'm watching him. He's on the table. I serve him a plate of food. He doesn't eat. And I'm watching, he doesn't eat. The food is sitting there, I'm thinking, he's 99. I guess he doesn't eat. Maybe he drinks milk, I don't know what he does. And then maybe 15 minutes into the se'oda, I see him starting to eat. And he finishes the whole plate. And I'm thinking, what happened? Why was he sitting there for 15 minutes? And then I realized that he wouldn't eat until my wife sat down. And I'm thinking to myself, when my wife sits down already, I'm, I'm by Berkat Amazon. <laughs> so I learned something. To be a great man like this great, unbelievable person, there's something within my reach. I just gotta learn to do things. The right way, let's track back. When he was my age, also he wasn't this person. I remember when he came for dessert, so I asked him if he wanted something. He says, no thanks. I said, Robert, please take. No, no, and he pleaded with me, like a little boy pleading with someone who's about to give him pain. Like, please, please, don't. I don't know what happened, it was a little bit exaggerated. I asked his son, I said, what happened? He says, you have no, he says, let me tell you something. My father, if he served food in a plate, will never leave leftovers. He doesn't want the person to feel bad. So he will force himself to eat it till the last item. I can do that. I gotta learn from him. Hashem puts people in our lives to learn from. Sometimes they look way beyond us, but if we track back, it's within our reach too. Just take the right steps. A young man is growing up, you could become a great person. Take the right steps. And when you hear about a terrible person or a terrible ending, they're not terrible people, they're hazi people. You gotta learn from that. You heard about that girl? In that party or in that, you gotta learn from that. You or your children are not far away. You need to take the right steps. Torah teaches us learn from other people's mistakes. Feel bad for them, pray for them, but learn from them. How could you not learn? Don't be poteah. Meet abero poteah. It's all good. That's what Torah tells us. A tzaddik comes into the Beit HaMikdash, he sees this woman who is being, it's really shameful the way they're dealing with her. This woman accused of cheating on her husband, a sota. He walks into the Beit HaMikdash, he's bringing a korban, he's minding his own business, he sees this woman in a very embarrassing situation. Torah says, oh, you better step it up, sir. You better become a Nazir. No more wine for you. 
What did I do? I came to the Beit HaMikdash. I traveled weeks to get here. I have a Korban with me. Oh, didn't you see the Satan over there? Yeah, Hazita, she said. I feel very bad for her. No, no, don't feel bad for her. It says, Yazir, the Gemara says, Call me Shero'e Sota Bekilkula. Call any person sees a Sota being humiliated in the Beta Megdash because of what she did. Yazir Atzmo Min Hayain. He should take himself and separate himself from mine. Why does it say Yazir Atzmo? Just say Yazir Min Hayain. What's Atzmo himself? Because the first reaction usually when we hear about other people, we start worrying about them. The first thing says, Yazir Atzmo, worry about yourself first. Don't say she's Hazid. Look at that yourself, how you could also be Hazid. Because you're not from far from her as you think. A little wine, the wrong friend, the wrong place to be, and you're getting one step closer. That's how life is. We're closer to the greatness than we think. And we're closer to disaster than we think. It's the blueprint that we put from the younger years of ourselves and our children that make a finished product. Yes, Abraham Avinu's birth of the great Yaakov happened way before Yitzhak even was born. Abraham was already preparing the greatness of his family, the precious years of youth, the precious years of teenagers that need to be focused in building the success of their grandchildren. This is the wise person that prepares themselves and prepares their future in that way. Success is not a result that just happens. It's something that we make happen. But we need to be thinking about ourselves. We cannot be spectators in our own life. We need to surround ourselves with the right people so that we can get there. And we need to worry about making mistakes that can hurt our future. Azrat Hashem, I bless you all with tremendous chokhmah and tremendous hatzlaha. Amen. Baruch Amen. Amen. Amen.